Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Basement Sports Podcast Special Edition. Myself and Mr. Wayne Wagoner here on the line tonight. Wayne, how you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. And we are absolutely thrilled to have Christopher Carter joining us tonight. Again, from DKPittsburghSports.com. Uh, and he is on Twitter at, at Carter Critiques. Christopher, how are you tonight? Doing great. Thanks for having me back, guys. This is a lot of fun. Oh, man. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. We're Zoom tonight. Before, we were just a phone call. <laughs> now we can actually look at each other and, and see what, we're, what beverages we're having and all that fun stuff. So this is great. Um, Christopher, I, I, we really want to talk to you tonight from perspective and, and a serious, serious topic uh, it's, it's, it's no secret what's been going on in the country mm-hmm. and social upheaval, uh, you know, and, and, you know, starting off with what happened with George Floyd, uh, yeah. in Minneapolis. And there have been numerous other cases that have happened. There's a case in Atlanta, Louisville, that's really, really brought the, the attention of, of social justice, of, of, uh, of police misconduct, and the relationship between those things and the minority communities, et cetera. You're really plugged in, not only as a reporter in the city of Pittsburgh, but you're plugged into Pittsburgh. I mean, you, you, were, you were born and raised in Homewood, and you're a Pittsburgh yes. guy, okay? And if I'm not mistaken, you know, you, you went to high school at Allardyce, mm-hmm. um, and you, you, you work downtown. Like, you're, you're around, you're part of the city. So can, mm-hmm. can you can you give us and an, uh, your your thoughts overall on like when this happened, what and what has happened since? What impact has it had on you and what have you seen, you know, through the protests and uh, everything that's happened? What is going on, not only in a country, but in the city? Uh, I got to say that, you know, over the years, I've been part of protests. I've watched pro- protests. I've studied protests. I've, I've seen like how people have reacted because, th- you know, this th- the stuff that's been happening now, it's nothing new. You know, if it wasn't Freddie Gray, if it wasn't Antoine Rose, if it wasn't, you know, Tamir Rice, if it wasn't I me, mean, we could go down the list for years. Every, you know, you could name a person and, and it brings up a whole other movement on another reaction around the country. Um and what, but what makes this different for me is that I think that there was there was a there was a a straw that that broke a camel's back somewhere, because this, you know I think it I think it really it goes a lot to the credit of the people that have been organizing for years and continuing this message and not giving up on it, because now when when George Floyd was killed, uh, and, and that was that was shortly after we found out about Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And it was just stack upon stack upon stack and people just being outraged with more outrage and just like, how can this happen? I think people eventually at that point, it was just like, this is, this is ridiculous. And when the organizers who have always been there, when they kept, when they were pushing forward to make the, I think they just, there were a lot more people that were like, you know what? I've ignored this for way too long. I didn't think this was that big of a thing, but, um, uh, there was an there's an attorney Carl Douglas. He's a he's a famous attorney that always is, is an advocate, you know, to for those who are victims of police brutality. Um, but he's, he's uh, the way he put it, I thought was the best. He said we we saw as a country a man narrate his own death as he begged for his life, as he uh, as he called out for his mother, 
as he, you know, was 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 begging, you know, saying, I, I can't pre please, please, they're going to kill me. And he said, please, like nine or ten times. Um, I think that resonated with a lot more people. And I think that that has helped get the message across like, hey, this message isn't, you know, these people aren't saying, you know, the, you know, the, let's actually listen to the people that are, that are complaining right now. Let's actually listen to what's being said by the people who actually matter in this moment. The people and what's happened so much in my life that I've seen so much of is that when people protest, there's the message that they give. And then there's the message that we hear from these other people that don't like what they're saying and they change the message to make it more acceptable to deny. For example, when Black Lives Matter first became a movement, the, the message was, oh, you're saying only Black Lives Matter. No one ever said that. That's never been the movement. That's never been anything part of it. And all of a sudden, you know, then people were saying, well, all lives matter or blue lives matter and all these. No, 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 no. We're not saying nobody else's lives matter. We're saying that right now these lives need to matter because in our justice system, they do not. They have been treat. They have been thrown away and people have been organizing for that for years. I think that, that I think it's been important. And I think people kind of realize like, hey, wait a minute. They have a point. They, they aren't saying only, only lives matter. And you look at you look at how the NFL's reacted and how. They've even said like, you know what, you know, we kind of have to change with the tide as well when they admitted that they were wrong for punishing protesters. Now they won't say Colin Kaepernick's name by name, but that's who started it. That was the, that he was the catalyst. He's the, he's the face of that movement in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And for them to, to, to acknowledge that, I think it's a big step, but they need to continue with an actual uh, step that means something if they want to do something for the league. But again, you know, that's another message that was co-opted. He never said this was about the troops. He never said this was to disrespect, you know, you know, people that served in the military. He always said this was a this is about the injustices against black people. This is about police brutality. This is about the other things that go along with that. This is this is this is about racism. He always said that. And people said, no, it's about the troops. This is this 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 is to disrespect that and to disrespect all the people that died on that flag. No, that's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. And I think this time around, not 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 everybody, because there's a lot of people that still they're saying they're saying whatever they want. They they don't they, they're not buying into the message. They're against the protests. But there's more people that are that are saying, "Hey, wait a second, that isn't what they're saying. That's what this you know this is what they're saying. You're you're saying something else. I'm not going to listen to you." And I think that that has resonated more with the message across the board. And, and I think as we've seen o- o- over the past few days, um, uh, you know, or not the past few days, past month, past few months, because they weren't these, these people that were the people I, I mentioned, Brianna Taylor. Ahmaud Arbery, uh, George Floyd, they, they weren't the only people. You know, we had another man in Kentucky who was a, uh, an owner of a barbecue joint. He was shot by the police. He, he, he was a guy who routinely gave police free food whenever they came into his establishment. And they just, they shot him and they just, they, you know, mistook him for the wrong person. Um, you know, we saw uh, someone that I posted about this morning that happened, this happened in December. We're just finding out about it now, but Elijah McClain, a, bl- a black man who was just walking home he was anemic, so he had problems with the cold. And he lived in Colorado, so he wore he was wearing a ski mask in December. And the police tried to talk to him. He said, "Whoa, I'm I'm not doing anything wrong here. I'm just walking to my house." Mm-hmm. And they grabbed him, they put him on the ground, and uh, eventually they sedated they, they they sedated him with uh, I think it was keratin. Uh, it's a, it was but they said it with a chemical that eventually killed him because they gave him way too much because he weighed 140 pounds and they gave him enough for for a guy that was twice his size. And, um, you know, we keep seeing just death upon death upon death. And people are just like, this is enough. 
we we have to do something to address this. And we've ignored this for years. And this is how the movement's always been. I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but no, this is no continue. Please. No, 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 no. Uh, this is how it's always been. You know, the Civil Rights Acts that that, that came about in 1968. It didn't come about. The, you know, the protesting didn't start in 1965. The protest you know, the protests have have always been ongoing. People have always been asking for their rights, but it's just about the specific points in time. Why do you know when, when when I think when popularity swells and they say you know what that is wrong that is something I can't stand and I can't stand if I'm actually going to believe in what this country is supposed to be then people start to stand against it. and I think that that's part of why we're seeing this bigger response in our country. Mm-hmm. It was- Christopher, how much do you think um, contributed to? the the um, acceptance uh, um, this time that it was such a blatant act caught on video there was no other side to this there was no gray area other times there was no video the police gave their narrative this one there this was clear as could be and everybody saw it there was no excuse there was no other side to that how much do you think that contributed to the, the greater acceptance worldwide, not just in the United States. No, I mean, I think it showed the horror that this could happen to anyone. You know, that when, when people see things from, uh, when, they, when people see something wrong from a group that they generally trust or respect, like police officers, they want to give them every benefit of the doubt. So when they right. think, oh, maybe this could have gone wrong, or, oh, maybe that could have gone wrong. And right. what people have been saying for a very long time is that, that you, you, these are excuses, these are benefits that you're giving to a group of people and, and or, you know, these organizations that have that routinely make these mistakes across the country that we've seen, you know, the people say it's a few bad apples, but we continue to see if these are a few bad apples, there sure are a lot of them and they, and it keeps happening. And, and even when you push back against it, like when we saw the, 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 the squatted up police officers in Buffalo, knock a 75 year old man down. And then the two guys that did it, when they were charged with it, the, the entire department was outside cheering when they were released. You know, that's not that's not a group of people that's mourning their mistakes. That's not a group that says, that, that's saying, hey, I, sh- I need to get better. That's, they're saying we have the power. We're supposed to have the power. And that's not, again, that's not to say that all cops are like that. Right. But probably, it's obvious that these are institutional problems. You know, mm-hmm. and these people didn't, these people, these people that weren't born this way. This was how the world was made. This, this is what they became. This, this is what happened when they became mm-hmm. institution that taught these ways of thinking and ways of policing. And what people have been saying for decades is that those ways of thinking require change. And, the, and that and that change isn't just a simple slap on the wrist or even just one person going to jail. It's sweeping. It's sweeping changes in how these systems operate and how these systems are are are, are established to set people forth to say, hey. You have a job. It's a very important job. Your job is to protect and serve. But in your protecting and serving, you cannot overuse your power in the manner that kills all these innocent people. Um, and uh, and it's not even just about the sheer numbers. I mean, it's about all these instances where we're saying, hey, why was this force used here? And it's obvious that this is bigger than just a, a one, one, you know, one, once a time, twice a time. You know, is this happens on, on occasion. This is a continuous problem. Um, and I think definitely in this situation the escapes where you see a lot of people get get give police like oh well he might have right. he might have thought he had a gun because most of right. them have guns like oh well he he pulled out his cell phone and his cell phone was black so we he thought that was a pistol right. or oh he was running at him you know as if running at at a at a, per, at a person means that they're going to kill you 
um, you know, it's, you know, the, those those escapes weren't present with the George Floyd. So that absolutely right. was part of it. I agree. Um, and I, but I also think that again, it was, it wasn't just seeing that because you know what, uh, you know, we, we, we've seen, we've seen a lot of people that did, that, did, that didn't need to die. Sandra Bland didn't need to, didn't need to die. Um, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, we saw he was jogging through the street and he, and he was killed by, you know, guys that were investigators, you know, investigators off duty. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at people that, that, that have gone through that in this instance, you're seeing that like, you know, Hey, this guy not only was was innocent or not not innocent, but he didn't deserve to die but he begged for his life and, and we heard that and i think that resonated with a lot of people like well if i was in that situation what would i say i would beg i would i would plead i would say please get off me i would ask for help you know i would tell them i can't breathe and there, if, and when people i think realize i that they can't escape that situation that if they were in that situation and looked like george floyd then maybe they were like you know what this is something i have to stand up for mm-hmm. Well, I think the other thing that added to this was, to your point, the institutionalization of it, the fact that three others stood by while Chauvin was standing on his neck. That showed the side of police always keeping getting each other's back, even when they know it's wrong. There's a, a, a peer pressure there that they turn their head the other way. And I think that element, too, contributed the people accepting the reality of this way more than they had been prior to George Floyd. Absolutely. I mean, you see, uh, you see a lot of different times where, uh, you know, people talk about the blue line or you see the blue line flag. Now for some people, the blue line just simply means, Oh, police officers, they just, they make sure each other get home safe. Well, they also means, and it's come to me when, when people use that flag, it's a, it's a warning sign to a lot of people out there that are organizing against police brutality because you know, oftentimes when you look at this, these are the people that are saying, you know what, I'm not going to tell on, on my, my coworker right. who did something wrong here. And we found time and time and time and time again, and you look back to Laquan McDonald in Chicago and the police, the police. rushed into, I think it was a, a Wendy's or a KFC or some sort. It was a fast food, but they stole, they took the videotapes so that they could not prove mm-hmm. what went wrong in that situation. Um, yeah. You know, and, and we've and we 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 see it across the board, and it goes beyond police officers. Prosecutors have have been involved in this. I mean, you look you look throughout just, just so many instances. I mean, the Central Park Five. When you look at how many times that 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 the prosecutors and the police just collaborated in their in their foul ups to put those five boys in jail for something that they never did. Uh, um, and again, we could refer to so many different points in history, but. Absolutely. You know, this is an institutional problem. And I, I think that people, after so many times of seeing and hearing it, I think that they're finally starting to get, you know what, maybe, maybe they, there's something there. Maybe there's, and I think it's just after a while, people are starting, there, there's some people, because there's a lot of people that still don't believe, but there's some people that are saying, you know what, I, I should probably, I should probably listen to the people talking. Yeah, I think it had every element, that particular case had every element for people to really take a more honest, hard look at what everybody's been saying. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was shocking video and nobody that I know I've talked to. And I've also talked to police officers that I know police officers that are friends of mine. They were appalled, you know, and just could not get over it and very emotional about it because, you know, to them, there's absolutely no excuse. Uh, the, the question, when, when you dig through the layers of what happened, 
from what I understand and the stories that I've read, this officer had had complaints lodged against him before, like in the teens, like something like 17, 18, 19 times there have been complaints lodged against him and really nothing happened. So when you talk about institutional issues going on, what are your thoughts, Christopher, that what's the basis of what's going on there? When you've got, when you've got an officer that like, you know, you got one complaint. Okay. You know, but then when, when you're up to 17, 18, 19, that's more than a trend. That's a habit. That's, that's, that's the truth. So what, what have you seen or what have you read or what do you know that's that went on there that allowed that kind of behavior to continue? Well, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like that in a lot of situations. I mean, a lot of police officers that have been, that have been found guilty or have been accused of, uh, of violence and, uh, and of abuse. Um, you'll find that there were other times where those accusations were made and maybe they moved departments, maybe they got a job somewhere else, but so many times, I mean, there's people that, that they, they get back into work. Um, if you if you're familiar with the story of Oscar Grant, if you're not, I suggest you uh, go grab the movie Fruitvale Station, uh, it was starring Michael B. Jordan. But it was a man back in 2009 on New Year's Eve, on New Year's Eve. He was out hanging out with friends, and on a subway there was there was a scuffle between other people, and then the bus the, the subway was stopped, and uh, you know Bart police took him off off the subway, and they shot him while he was lying on the ground, um, while they were holding him on the ground, they shot him to death. And um, the police officer there got, I think, a few months. And people that were involved with that situation were allowed to work again. And I think that you, know, you look across the board, that's just that's how it works. I mean, the guy that killed Antoine Rose, um, whether or not you thought that was justified, I'm not saying you specifically, but anyone who's listening, uh, whether, you know, because there were some debates like, oh, he was the kid, the kid was dangerous and this, that, and the third. That guy was enough, the person who killed him. Uh, had a history, I think, on uh, you know, at, in in Oakland, uh, with 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 accusations of abuse. And you look at, you know, there's so many instances where that happens. And also with Chauvin, uh, with this, with the guy that killed uh, George Floyd, uh, the two had themselves had a history because they both worked security at a uh, at a bar, and the owner of that club uh, said that, uh, yeah, they used to get at, they used to go at it, and so he knew who George Floyd was. So you know, there might have been more around that, but. You know, but again, it, it goes back to those institutions. It goes back to those blue lines. You know, there's police officers who are afraid, who, who want to tell the truth, and right. they're, yep. but they're afraid because of retaliation. By yep. other people. Like yep. when they're in, when they're in some act, the actual thick of things and they're in danger and they call for backup. Well, you know, people not showing up or uh -huh. they'll get they'll get put on the worst shifts to have or they'll yep. be removed entirely. I was um. I was at a, a rally a couple of weeks ago where a police officer, I forget his name right now, um, and he, he talked about how, you know, we need your support as well, because there's people like me and my mother who was all, he said his mother was also a police officer. And, uh, and he said that they spoke, they would spoke up, speak up against these moments where you saw abuse and the pushback was, okay, well now we're going to give you the worst shift. We're going to put you on the worst times. We're going to put you in, in the most dangerous places or the coldest places or, you know, whatever's the least, the least favorite of, of that situation and try to push you out the department. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and this isn't a, this isn't a one-time thing. Um, this is, this, these are instances that are being reported, you know, across the board, across the country. And, you know, as we continue to pile up these anecdotes, they point to similar systemic problems that exist 
in different departments across the country and we see how rampant it is. And then that shows when people talk about defund the police, uh, they're not talking about taking away all the money from police. They're saying we have to restructure what we're investing in to create, to, to set up police officers in our communities, because right now that system is broken. Is there, there are so many different avenues we could go down, you know, as far as like, where does that start? you know, as far as restructuring the police officers, I've heard And look, this is, these are only things that I've read and heard, you know, that, uh, there have been areas, not necessarily Pittsburgh, but maybe in other cities where they've increased the amount of community policing, where the police officers are kind of walking a beat again, and they're, they're interacting with the, with the residents of an area Mm -hmm. and they're getting to know each other. You know, I mean, when I, I, I wasn't, you know, when I was a little kid, we were starting to see the dissolution of the local police department in a a lot of areas. You know, a lot of these little towns had one or two police officers that kind of took care of things. They knew everybody. Um, I won't talk about some of the things they let some people get away with because they didn't want to do the paperwork, but it was like harmless. You know, you kind of knew them and it was like, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to make this work for the good of everybody. So in your mind, you know, we've heard a lot about this defund the police and it gets these, you know, these incredible reactions on the two extremes. But where does it start? Like where where does this whole process as far as restructuring, perhaps, you know, training who they're hiring, pay, how how um, uh, violations are investigated and administered? Where does it start? There has to be a starting point. Where does this all start? Well, I think it starts with something you mentioned, and it's about establishing those 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 connections with the community. Um, and I think in Pittsburgh, you have a really good example of Scott Schubert, uh, you know, who's the chief of police, and what he's been able to do. Uh, I've seen him out out in the uh, out in the public. Um, you know, I would I would go to a special Olympics event to support some of the some of the participants there. And uh, he'd be right there with everyone and he'd be hanging out with the kids, getting to know with them and not just not coming in for photo ops, but like talking to people, developing, uh, developing relationships, uh, sticking around and, you know, making sure that he got to know people. And there's people that I'm that I know that he's like that, that he'll be able to say, hey, you know, how you doing? Um, and, and doing that in all the communities, you know, because some people they'll do that in Mount Lebanon. They'll do that in Squirrel Hill. They'll do that, you know, in these neighborhoods. But but coming to home wouldn't do that. Coming to the Hill District can do that. You know, mm-hmm. coming to Hazel wouldn't do. You know, go go into the neighborhoods that 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 are impacted by crime because they're they 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 have a, a you know a serious poverty situation and see how and, and see what relationships you can build there. You know, uh, there was one time I'll tell a story about. Uh, I was I, I worked for so I I'm on the board of directors for the Community Empowerment Association, which is a group in Homewood where uh, the, the, we we organize around a lot of events to help improve our community. Um, we have there's an after school daycare program. There's a summer camp program where we mentor kids. Uh, we set, we get them set up to do better in school and to give them activities to you know go in different directions. Uh, there's workforce programs to help people get jobs, um, and you know a lot of things also are dealing with public policy and trying to you know help in the discussions of where we need to go. And one of the public policies this is maybe a four or five years ago now, uh, but. Uh, was we were trying to establish a better relationship with the Pittsburgh police. And um, as we're in this meeting, two of the people in the meeting uh, uh, had to leave. And it was a, it was a, it was a teacher and a, and a, and a, and a photographer and, and they're talking outside the building. 
And um, as they're talking on the side of Kelly Street, which is a big enough road, it's got two lanes and enough space to park. Um, uh, uh, you know, a police officer drove by them and almost hit them with their co- with his car, and they were like, "Whoa, that was weird." And then he came back, and the guy's like, "Well, hey, hey, you know, I'm sorry. You guys should write. You guys should write me up. Take my badge number." And the the the, the, the photographer was like, "Whoa, no, no, no. We're fine. Just go on about your business." And the teacher was like, "Well, you did almost hit us. I'll take it." And then all of a sudden, that police officer said, "All right, on, you know, hands on the hood right now. Get you know, get him on the car." Mm-hmm. And and, and and then everyone and then the teacher's like, I have done nothing wrong. You can't you can't do this to me. And then next thing you and the, the, the journalist, he who's you know, he was an older gentleman. So he understood what it was, what, what was what the deal was. He immediately sits down. And then the guy, the guy tackles the teacher. And then we come out, we, you know, we're coming out like, whoa, 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 officer, this is this is a misunderstanding. And he, he calls in for backup thinking that we're a riot. Next thing you know, there are 17. We counted 17 police cars with police dogs. And it's a standoff and we're just like, stop, everyone calm down. And our CEO, Rashad Birdsong, who, uh, who he's, he's well known throughout the city. Mayor Peduto has campaign rallies in his building because of their relationship. And he comes out and he has his hands up and he's just walking to the police office. He's like, Hey, let's just talk. And they try and they maced him. And, and it's like, it's like, what, what, what's happening here. And so that was an instance where, and, and credit to the city for how they dealt with that because the, uh, the 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 teacher got his charges dropped and 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 uh, you know and I think the guy that the police officer that was involved did did face uh, did face charges but um, but in, in that situation where there was an honest attempt to establish a better connection with the police and stuff like that in communities that that can I mean imagine how some people some people yeah, that, that might experience that might think you know what why do I even try we were sitting in a, me- a meeting where we literally were talking about how we can you know, get these people to, to, to develop better relationships with our kids and set up festivals and events where we invite them to and, and, you know, and, and you know, have like make friends nights and, um, and, and that happens. So, uh, you know, one of the first steps I think is establishing that community presence, like you said, walking beats, but also showing up to things off, you know, off, off, uh, what you call off the clock, yeah. you know, you off know, and, uh, you know, doing things that are just being part of the community. When you say community peak policing, it's more than just community policing, it's community, you know, getting to know everyone. You know, when, you know, when, uh, when the Homewood little, little dogs, the, the, they're the, uh, um, they're the tyke football team that, that, that actually, they actually do really well lately. Uh, when, you know, when they're playing their little league football games, show up and not in uniform, just be like, hey, I'm officer such and such, but today I'm just Mr. Such and such. And, help establish that connection. Uh, another example, when I was at Cheney University, we had public safety officers who, uh, you know, and they, they had weapons, but um, we had public safety officers that knew how to handle certain situations because they knew our students and they would hang out with us and they would get to know us. They said, that's that's what the job is supposed to be. And then we had guys that were brought in from other parts of the state and didn't know us and they would have the harshest reactions. One guy pointed a gun at me while I was studying because he thought he thought the room he you know he was he was clearing he was clearing a room that was the office that I was working in and I and I was just like whoa what 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 just happened here and you know and you know an officer hitting one of the guys that I got to know he's like that would have never happened if that was me because I wouldn't have my gun out in that situation and he's there's guys that are just too hyped up and not trained well enough to know how to handle different situations mm-hmm. so part of it's community relations. Part of it's investing better, getting better training. Um, but also, I think that officers should be paid more because they should be trained more. I think when right. you, if you put officers through the same kind of standards that it takes to be, I don't know, a social relations worker or, you know, an accountant, 
you know, and, and put them through years, years, not weeks, but years of training that get them ready for this job. And I understand that we're talking about a big reform, but that's what it's going to take. But then you're going to have guys who aren't on the street and just three weeks, you know, a, a three day rookie, like the guys that were standing on or, 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 or pinning down George Floyd, because they wouldn't have just been there for a few weeks. They would have said, you know what? No, 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 no. I've, I've been here. You know, I've been in the Academy for a year or two years or however long I've been here. I know this is wrong. We have to stop this now and better training, better investment uh, and community relations all are a part of that. And there's other things that uh, people that are smarter than me are, are, are drawing up and, and, and showing through studies that we need to take. So I urge people find, find those studies and read the, what, what they're saying, because uh, there's there's a lot of information out there about how we can make this a better situation. Yep. Go ahead, Wayne. I think Wayne, you wanted to say something. I was just going to say, um, just so you know a little bit of my background, Christopher. I was a Pennsylvania State Parole agent for ten years in the Hill District, and I've seen police abuse. It, it was routine that narcotics officers used to shake down my parolees that were known drug dealers that take their money and their drugs, and then what? What are you going to turn them in? <laughs> And it happened. And and, and the, the whole thing about the thin blue line, you're exactly right. People are afraid to come out and speak the truth. They're afraid what's going to happen to them. That falls to the union that represents them. Um, and, and even when I worked for the state in that capacity, we had some really bad parole agents who should have been fired. And the union kept their jobs. And we all knew they were bad. You know, they and they made our jobs tougher because then we got lumped in mm -hmm. with the guys that were doing the wrong thing and the and the union would back them. And I think that's why you've got to have community um, committees with the police, too. You can't just leave it up to the union and management to settle these disputes because there's too much pressure on both of them. There's pressure on those guys that are trying to do the right thing and they need a third party to take some of that pressure off of them. I agree. I agree entirely. I think that that, I mean, and, and like, for example, in, in your situation, if you speak out against that, there's some, there's, there's going to be blowback on you because the union's already protecting them. So what right. can you do that's going to, to, to not only help the people that you're trying to help because it's right. going to be worse for them. Um, but then all of us, then all of a sudden you're, then you're going to become a target and that's intimidating. That's, that's scary. That's real. Um, so, you know, well, I, I can speak to that. I, I became a target, not nearly to that degree. Um, so I don't want to even try to compare it, but I had been in the city jail lockup with one of my parolees and the burglary detectives were interviewing this guy before he had his preliminary hearing. He was accused of stealing a television from a lady up in the Allentown area. And his words were, I just, I don't want to be sent back to jail. I didn't do this. If it's just for restitution, I'll get her another TV. Those were his words. Well, he got held for court. It went to trial. I'm sitting at my desk as a state parole agent. My phone rings. I pick it up. It's Judge Cappy. He said, where are you? I said, well, I'm in my office. He said, drop whatever you're doing. Come up here. I'm giving you a verbal subpoena over the phone. Like I walk up from the state office building to the courthouse. They swear me in. And then the attorney asked me, what did uh, Mr. McGee say? Did he say he would give her her TV back? I said, no. He said he would get her another TV. He didn't participate. If you would have saw the looks that those police officers gave me, because I was supposed to be one of them and was supposed yeah. to 
back them. And I'll tell you, my relationship changed with some of those officers after that. And that was a minor thing. That wasn't a George Floyd or a violent type thing, but um, that's not what he said. Um, Whether he did it or not, who knows? But that's not what he said. And when I testified something that simple, you know, it was like, you just stabbed us in the back. You crossed that line. You didn't back us. And we expected you to to back us. So, I I mean, I... It goes I, I on all the time. Doing that. I, I, Wayne, I thank you. That, that, that's, but that's a perfect example of the pressures that come with talking right. about the situation. I, I think right. that, I thank you for standing up with that because not a lot of people would, would do that because there's a lot of the, it, I mean, the peer pressure of it. You think about, you know, to the average, to the person who's listening right now, you think about at your job when someone just needs you to back them when you know it's not true and you're thinking like, mm, and you feel the pressure. Even if you end up making the right decision, you admit it, that, that there is a pressure that it's like, do I want to do the unpopular thing? The thing that's right. going to make my life harder. Um, now put the pressure behind it where, like Wayne's talking about, that's a court. That's test. That's testimony. Right. And, these right. Are, and, and this is a powerful union that, that he's up against. And this is his, this is his job job. Like, there, the, that's the that's the level to the great. And again, that's a small instance. We're talking about an instance right. where there was a yeah. testimony where you didn't even badmouth the police officer. You simply said that this guy said said one thing and he did not say the other. Right. And that was, and, and in that you were still seen as an enemy. I think that speaks a lot to um to, to the situation. So thank you. That's an amazing. That's well, an amazing story. you don't have to thank me. It was just the right thing to do. But. Um, they rationalized that this guy had a three or four page rap sheet and he was not a good guy, but in this circumstance, that's not what he said. Right. You know, but that's how they rationalize it. You know, he deserves to go back to jail. You know, that's a whole different matter. That's not what he said. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that Wayne. I, I, uh, I, you know, I want to transition just a little bit because, uh, Christopher Wayne, I think we could probably sit on here for three hours and and, <laughs> and talk about a lot of these issues. And, you know, Chris, you know, you're welcome on the podcast anytime. You know, I'd love having you on as a guest. But I, I want to transition a little bit. You know, we're, we're Basement Sports Podcast, and this has certainly impacted the sports world. Mm-hmm. Now, there could be arguments everywhere about, well, it's it's more magnified because of COVID and there's no sports going on. So we're, you know, there's people are on social media more and we're hearing more stories. I want to talk about in the, in the face of what's going on with the George Floyd case, which really sparked this movement uh, about our sports leadership, teams, coaches, uh, players, uh, you know, administration, owners, you name it at their responsibility uh, right now? Because we've, we've, we've seen, you know, coaches and players come out of statements. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was, it was like, I, I, and I'll just bring up Pat Narduzzi here because I follow a lot of Pitt stuff because I went to Pitt. You know, Coach Narduzzi was taking a lot of heat early mm-hmm. on because it seemed like he wasn't coming out and saying something. Well, when, when he did make a statement, I thought it was very, very good. I mean, my, my opinion, I thought it was a good statement. And from what I heard from my people who are inside at Pitt, he spent an awful lot of time listening to his players. Like he, he got his players together and listened, and, and his, his, his thoughts were, I don't want to say anything until I hear, till I listen, till I open my ears and I listen. So uh, on, on, what is the responsibility 
do you feel, uh, no matter what race the, the, the leader is, whether it's a coach, an owner, an organization, a player, uh, you know, these are these are a lot of people's heroes and we, we live, breathe and, 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 and just love sports. What what do you feel is their level of responsibility? Do they have a responsibility to speak? And, and what what does that look like to you? There, there's several layers to this. Um, one, you're, you know, it depends on what players and what coaches and what communities they're from. Um, I will say this. Coaching, especially if you're coaching American, you have to understand what they go through every day, and that when you recruited that person, especially if you recruited that person and they're one of your one of your players that you talk about and you 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 told their parents you were going to take care of them, you better understand their situation. And, and and understanding means listening, and understanding means 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 learning from them and from them. Like this is what they're. Because remember, a lot of these kids, they're, they're not even 20 years old yet. They're still forming their own thoughts and opinions on how to treat these situations. Uh, and, you know, some some kids, some of those players might, might think like, yeah, I'm angry, but I don't know the best way to express this yet. Because you know, I was I mean, where I'm still trying to figure out how to be a student, how to be an athlete, how to be a person who's going to be in the workforce. Um, so it takes a lot of time to even establish that kind of relationship and that kind of connection. Um, but, but coaches who are willing to, to hear those messages out and then, and then highlight them and not be afraid to, to say what, you know, what, what, what has been said and what they've learned. I think that that's a huge part of it. Um, you know, the, the players that, that came out and spoke that said that Narduzzi was calling people thugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- that's a, that's a hard criticism to hear for a lot of people because that's the biggest thing is that people in general, and, and I challenge the average everyday person to, you know, to do this too. When someone comes to you with an accusation, don't dismiss it immediately. Even mm-hmm. if you, in the hardest of hearts, you think it's complete BS and you say, oh, I never think that. Okay, wait a minute. Let me let them finish and hear them out because, and then think about it because I may not have done it. And I, and I, I look at it this way. As a black man, I'm a, I, I'm a straight man and I'm also a man. There are things about women's rights and things about gays' rights that I never even considered about how I was stepping on someone's toes with the way that I was thinking, with the way that I was talking, with the joke that I was making. And I had to have a friend, someone that, 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 that I knew that was like, yo, that's not cool. And I had to, and, and, and there's, and in the inside, even when I say this right now, there are times when I'm challenged like that. And I'm like, what you mean? That's not cool. Come on, man. Like, I, you know, I don't mean that, but I, but then you have to step back and you say, you know what? This ain't about me. This is about this person who goes through this stuff and I'm not in their shoes and I need to understand what they go through. And, and then coming to grips with, okay, you know what? I don't need to make that joke. You know, and one of my one of my least favorite terms in the world is political correctness, because people say, oh, you're just you want me to be politically correct. No, I want you to not be a jerk. Don't make black jokes around. me. Don't make gay jokes. Don't make Asian jokes. Don't you know, don't make these jokes that, that, that play on stereotypes that are that are hurtful. Um, you know, and I think that coaches, for example, can help eliminate that kind of behavior from from their staff, from their locker rooms when they understand, like, you know what? This is the kind of stuff that we cannot uh, allow, allow in, our, in our environment anymore. And then again, hear what these players are talking about, what issues actually matter to them. Uh, and then as far as the players go, um, it, it depends on what co- community you're from, excuse me. But when you're, say, for example, when you're LeBron James, 
when you're a guy that's on that's on top of the world and you have this position you you should use your voice but people got to understand there's a huge historical burden placed on any black player that's in these situations and not that it's not that the burden is bad but it's a reality and, and it's a challenge because it comes with it. I mean, you look back throughout history, throughout American sports history. And for those who think that sports shouldn't include talks about human rights and, and these type of things, I urge you to go back and look at people like Paul Robeson who played football and challenged all sorts of numbers of racism. He's also a lawyer and a thespian. He's, he's an amazing life, but go back and look at Jackie Robinson and how involved he was. Go back and look at, uh, at Tommy Smith and John Carlos in, in the in the 68 Mexico Olympics. Go back and look at Muhammad Ali. Go back and look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Arthur Ashe. And I could keep going down the line after line after line after year and era. There are several players that stood up in their time and said, "I will not, I will not be moved on this issue," and said, "We have to fight for this." And the, that that established a legacy. That established. Uh, you know, hey, we moved it forward in this time. You know, when Jackie Robinson came out, Jackie Robinson was under enormous pressure, but he understood that he was the one, that he had to be the perfect guy. And he took a lot, he took, there were a lot of things he had to hold in because he knew he couldn't say the things that LeBron James could say now. LeBron James could call out racism. You know why? Because back when we were first introducing this situation, people didn't want to hear anything from Jackie Robinson. They just wanted to see if, you know, can he play? Can, can, can the boy play? You know, can he be good at the game without complaining about anything? And after a while, he opened that door. More players got involved. More sports opened it up to black to black players, and uh, we started to see an integration. And then that allowed for that generation's approach. I mean, people don't realize that Jackie Robinson didn't stop still segregated uh, training houses. The Pittsburgh Pirates were still segregated for many years. Clemeny was, you know, Clemeny and uh, and Stargell in their early days, they had to play, they had to practice in di- or, or stay in different facilities. Like you know, that stuff didn't change through, you know, right, right away. Um, but it was, it was consistent progress that has gotten us to, to where we are today. So a uh, LeBron James, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, a Patrick Mahomes, a Deshaun Watson, you know, guys that are at the, at the top of their sports, there's a heavy burden on them. And for some people, they're like, I just want to be an athlete. And, and, and you hear that and you're like, I feel you, but we need you because I mean, because right now this is, you are, you are, you are, you know, well, you know, it, it, this is going to sound stupid, but with great power comes with great responsibility. And you can be like Michael Jordan and not step into it and just, you know, maybe you donate some money on the side. And you know what? That's fine. We'll acknowledge you as a great athlete. That doesn't make you a horrible person. But when we look back on the annals of history, Muhammad Ali is often regarded as one of the greatest Americans that ever lived. And in the black community, he is one of our greatest champions. Michael Jordan in the black community is regarded as one of the greatest athletes, but there's not the love for him that there is for a Muhammad Ali or even for right now, a Colin Kaepernick who has nowhere near the athletic accomplishments of either Ali or Jordan or other guys that have come in, come in that set. So um, it, it's not saying that those players absolutely have to, or they're worthless. It's just saying this, but this, you got to understand that this is going to be a question that you're going to face and a challenge that you're going to have. Mm-hmm. And but, and again, though, when these situations go down, when George Floyd happens or when your teammate it becomes a, a, you know, a victim of something or, or faces something or faces pressure, where do you stand? And you have to ask yourself, do I want to be on the right side of history? Do I want to support this person who is just trying to exercise their right to live and their right to speak for others' rights to live? Or do I want to be silent and not help anybody in the times? And, and think back and, and look back in history at the people who were silent 
and the people that were vocal and see who's who had a, who had a better impact on where our country is today. Okay. Well, Christopher, I, I'd like to speak to that. I lived through Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. and Cassius Clay. When I was a teenager, I just thought he was the greatest thing going. And I, I saved my money. I went to see him fight at the Civic Arena against a guy by the name of Charlie Powell. Charlie Powell was a um, uh, football player with the Oakland Raiders. He became a boxer, and I saw Ali beat him. When, when he was Cassius Clay, and he came back from the Olympics, and he threw his medal in the um, Ohio River, Mississippi River, um, he was not only um, standing up for his rights, he was the first of the um, trash-talking, yeah. uh, arrogant-type athlete in a lot of people's eyes. People were offended when the man changed his name for religious beliefs. He stood up to an unpo- what became an unpopular war. Um, everything he said turned out to be true. He went from a guy hated in this country um, during that period to a guy that stood up for what he believed in to the point that he gave up his career yeah. and his championship to go to jail and to fight, um, fight the system and became one of the most beloved people in history yeah. by standing up for what he did. And he led a movement, I think, um, you know, Jackie Robinson was a little different because he integrated a sport, but right. what Muhammad Ali sacrificed to prove a point and turned out to be right. And people, that gives me hope because people saw that in him and it took time, but he became beloved by everybody for all races and creeds for what he stood for. And Wayne, that's a, you know, it's important to bring up though, with that, he became beloved, but he only became beloved when the time of the pressure, the time of making those hard decisions of who to support had long passed. And mm-hmm. that's what people want everyone to remind themselves <coughs> right now. You know, back in 20, 2015, 2016, when we were talking about Black Lives Matter and Colin Kaepernick was starting his protest, it was easy to stand off to the side and say, I don't support that. You know, and, the, and it was it was difficult. You faced a lot of pressure. You know, or if you said, I support him, people lost jobs over that stuff. Mm. Not only Colin Kaepernick, but people in sports writing companies lost, lost, their, lost their livelihoods because they, they spoke out against it and they say, this is wrong. And um, and, and the point is, is that though years later and, and, and with Ali, it took longer. Like this was more like, okay. And the four, four years later, we're realizing, okay, he was right. And people are starting to see, oh, well, he wasn't so bad. So in 10 years, how will people look back at this situation? Will they, will they say, oh yeah, Colin Kaepernick, everyone loves that guy. They didn't love him when he was doing his work, just like they didn't yeah. love Muhammad Ali. People shot at his camp when he was training. Uh, and in fact, something I, I found out from a, a person who brought up an old Pittsburgh Post-Gazette article. Muhammad Ali tried to live in Pittsburgh. He was going to buy a house in Mount Lebanon for twice its value for 190 some thousand dollars. But because of the, the homeowners association and because of gentrification and redlining, they denied him the right to buy that house. They refused his offer. They kicked him out and they let a, a white family buy the, buy that same home for half the price that he offered. And, um, you think about when you like a man, I can't imagine Muhammad Ali being a Pittsburgher. Like that would, that'd be a whole extra level of pride. Um, I read something about that. That that's been urban legend for a long time. He did try to buy a house. He claimed that he was buying it for a friend of his, that he was not going to live in Pittsburgh, but the rest of the story was exactly right. But but he he was was buying that 
for someone, yes. Right, but he was he was still denied the ability right. to, uh, to to buy the house. Right, exactly. And, and that yeah. just goes to show you that in his time, I think that was 1971 when he was doing it, if I remember the mm-hmm. article correctly. But in that time, you know, people, you know, you had you it was tough to decide that. You know, my father tells me he went to Dilworth at the time. And he said when he fought Joe Frazier, even though Joe Frazier is a black man, he wasn't a, a he wasn't a, a bombastic, but he wasn't a black man that said he was proud to be black. And he said at Dilworth, he said the black kids supported Ali and the white kids supported Frazier. And, they, and there, was a, there was an obvious division of people of, of a lot of people wanted to see Ali lose because he was he was loud. Right. It wasn't no question. And, like I said, I lived through that time. There was no question. Joe Frazier was a champion of the establishment that, that he that all he was fighting against. And I think it probably took longer than two Christopher because it was a whole different time. Mm-hmm. I pray that we've made progress from them. From then. I mean, yeah. that was a whole different time back then. So it was going to take longer. We didn't have the, the social media and the voices that people do now. But um, but it gives me hope because I watched that transformation of Ali, and and it does give me hope. It, there's hope here, too. But, again, it's reminding people of the challenge right now. You know, Martin Luther King was hated by most of the country when he was alive. And it wasn't until after he was killed and after he became a martyr that people were like, you know, he's a great American. But when he was alive, a lot of the country didn't oh, like yeah. him. Oh, um, yeah. And that's the point is right now, you may, people, people, a lot of people will, will look at what's popular and look at what, you know, what the, where the discussion is leaning towards and say, I'm going to make my decision off of that or, or stay silent because they're like, you know, I just don't want to be caught up in that fervor. But mm-hmm. when you have the chance to support something in your own life, and again, this is, beyond just you know or like joining a protest if you see in your own office where you know there's there's hiring practices you see that just don't add up and say you know what that person was definitely more qualified than that person and i'm not you know i'm not going to stand by that um you know there's there's times to speak up in your own lives or when you're a person that holds the keys you know when you're when you're a gatekeeper in your in your uh in your job or in your community how can how can you say you know what my even my own biases might be at play here we need to look at this from a different perspective i, I think asking those questions of yourself and those tough questions like i said i do this stuff i do this for myself with the lgbt yeah. community and with women um and, and with other issues that i'm not familiar with mm-hmm. and, and you gotta ask yourself where can i change myself and better help these people yeah I, it's interesting you bring it because you're, you're, you talk about people from the past when, you know, when they had so much to lose, I mean, so much to lose. Yeah. And, and that's what, when I look back, that's where my level of respect goes, you know, even higher. Not that I don't respect people that speak up today. I do, right. you know, because they, they, a lot of them have something, they do have something to lose, but back then they had a lot to lose, you know, and I, 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 I think of my dad. My dad stood up for a, a black man one time, and mm-hmm. he had a lot to lose, and he lost. He paid the price for it, you know. But that's why my father's my my biggest hero. He stood up, you know, and, and during a time when you didn't do that, yeah, as, as a white guy, he just didn't do that. But mm-hmm. he did, and he's always been that way, you know. And he's eighty four years old today, you know, and he's still. You know, he, he's still, uh, you know, man, I listen to for guidance and, and you know, and, 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 you know, he, he traveled the entire country. He saw it all. You know, he wow. was in, he was in Dallas when JFK was assassinated. Oh, Jesus. you know, he was, he was there, you know, he, he, he was in the middle of a lot of those things, 
and you know and and he's you know he's an interesting one to talk to because for 84 years old he hasn't forgotten a thing especially the <laughs> shit i did when i was a kid so, <laughs> oh no parents don't ever seem to forget that <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um it's, so we're we're hoping hoping against hope Christopher, that sports get started again. Yeah, <laughs> really? believe me, I'm hoping to. <laughs> so, we know, and I feel, and I hope, and I pray that there's a lot of good that comes from what's happened. You know, and look, I, a man shouldn't have had to die. Yeah. For there to be changes or for there to be improvements, but as far as the influence that sports can have once things get started, again. Do you think that this is going to give a lot of those athletes, a lot of those coaches, those owners, um, it's going to give them an opening where maybe they didn't feel as comfortable before. And when sports restart, they're, they're going to feel more comfortable making a statement, making a stand. And as people feel that more and it's there, that things begin to improve even through sports, that our sports athletes, our heroes, our coaches are feel more free and, and, and are willing to speak out. I absolutely think that's going to be part of what happens. I mean, we're, and we're seeing it in uh, in live moments where, I mean, the video cut up that the NFL players made of, uh, of saying black lives matter and, and, and making it and publishing it for everyone to see. And it didn't just include, you know, a, a Colin Kaepernick or, or, or Eric Reed. That was Saquon Barkley. That was DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes. You know, these were superstars in the NFL saying, that, you know, we do not stand for what the NFL has done to the people, our people who have protested. And even now on social media, I urge you to go and look on Eric Ebron's Twitter. He's saying, I'm me when and there's a lot of feel that way as well and the action is there going to be a lot of hate from the country is a lot of people boo is there going to be a lot of stay silent you know they're exercising that are people going to cheer them it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out when we get sports back because there's a lot of people out there that are saying oh i'm never going to watch steelers game if, if one steeler takes your knee but the, the ratings showed that uh, last time that people said that, that was not the case at all. He was like, oh, yeah, the ratings went down. Like, no, 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 no. No, they didn't. Like, <laughs> they, they, they really didn't. Like, ratings went down across all television because people have been unplugging and, and getting away from cable and, and satellite. They've been watching things online more. But the numbers showed that the NFL was one of the few industries in that time period that saw an increase in its market share of, of, of viewers. Um, so that was disproven then. And I honestly think that a lot of people that are saying that now, I'm sure there's some people out there that are saying, no, I won't watch it. Okay, that's fine. You won't. But I know a lot of people will. Hey, and, uh, Christopher, I, I yeah. apologize, but you, you kind of broke, you kind of, your feed kind of broke up a little bit. You were talking, you were just starting to talk about Eric Ebron and we, we just missed what Eric okay. Ebron's been talking about. So you can you go back and tell us what yeah. Eric, Eric Ebron's been doing? He's just been saying he's going to take a knee. Okay. He's going to, uh, he's going to have to take a knee for, and, and, you know, for what he believes in. And Mike Tomlin has said, uh, you know, as early as just uh, just a day or two ago, where he said, um, uh, we're, we're going to support any player who wants to wants to protest. And, uh, he, he, you know, and people have said, to, you know, Steelers fans have said to, to Ebron, like, well, then I'll never watch the Steelers game if you need if you take a knee. And he's like, well, I don't care. I'm going to stand up for what I believe is right. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and I just think that people that are saying that they're not that they're not going to watch because of that, that they, you know that they're they're a little full of them. Um, mm. You know, and even if they don't, so what? I think that if, if the NFL took it serious, there were a lot of black people that, that stopped watching the NFL because they felt that they couldn't watch it when the when the league blackballed Colin Kaepernick. Um, I think that if 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 they make this move, they're going to gain. You know, whatever viewers that they lose, they're going to gain more. That are saying, you know what, we are welcome in this league. They don't just just silence us and and say our message doesn't matter. Um, so, so I mean, I just I, I think that players are going to use this moment to step up, and it's going to be interesting. It's going to be up to the uh, the American audience how it's received. You know, mm-hmm. is it is it received with hatred? Is it received with love? With understanding? Um, and with a willingness to move forward and say, hey, we'll fight this together. You don't got to do this by yourself anymore. Um, I think that's that, that that's what's going to be the most interesting thing. But I guarantee you, it's going to be a thing when sports come back. Wayne, I didn't know if you had. No, I'm disagreeing with what with, with Christopher's saying. I think the visibility of sports is such a great forum for things like this. It's a, it's a kind of a um, across all peoples that watch sports. That's one thing that brings people together always has been. And to Christopher's point, there is an obligation there. Um, it's kind of tough one because uh, not everybody has that personality, but I think an obligation and a responsibility does come with the, uh, with the job. Yeah. It's been, it's been a remarkable number of weeks and I think it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting is what happens in the following weeks. And, and, and sports is just part of that. I mean, let's, you've mentioned Christopher, the ratings of NFL football. I mean, it's, 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 it's mind blowing. And, and I, I know that from a business standpoint, major league baseball finally got their crap together and figured out how they're going to get a season <laughs> yeah. together. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it seems <laughs> like it started yet. Don't, don't. Right. <laughs> Find a way to screw it up. But you know, these, the, the, let's face it, the ratings for when one of the major sports comes back is going to be massive, is going to be, I mean, let, let, you know, whether it's baseball, hockey, uh, football, you know, basketball, you name it, whatever comes back for it's, it's going to be incredible. You know, there, there's going to be a huge rush. So whether there are fans in the stands or not, yeah. people are going to be watching on those on their televisions or on their laptops or their iPads. So what an unbelievable platform, right? Christopher, like what a, what a incredible platform to reach, reach all those people and talk about, Hey, how can we as a society get better? But most importantly, how can me as a person starts with me? you know, how, how do I get better? Right. That's, that's what it's got. to. That's the, that's kind of like the volcano that's got to come up from mm-hmm. all this when sports kicks back off. I agree. It, it's going to be people challenging again. It's going to be about challenging themselves. You know, I, I understand if you don't got time to go to a protest, I understand, you know, myself, I worked three, four jobs, mm-hmm. you know, you know, before I got on with you guys, I was at my day job, you know, you know, going over mortgages. As soon as I'm done with you guys, I had to do my Locked On Steelers podcast. As soon as that's done, I got to do some research for some stuff I said I was going to do for DK. You know, it hey. it, it doesn't stop. You know, and 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 with all that, I you know, there, I can't attend as many of the protests that I want to go to. Uh, but at the same time, I know that when someone might need some help that I can that I can lend, 
I'll end it there. You know, when there's a, when there's a, a like we've, we've been doing a food drive at CEA, we've been delivering food and, uh, and care supplies to uh, uh, at-risk at families in, uh, in neighborhoods in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, homes of uh, senior citizens that live by themselves that maybe can't get around too well, homes of uh, single parent homes where they have children that they're taking care of and they can't get out the house. Um, just, you know, put people that need that kind of help and I'll help, you know, you know, fill boxes and, or drive them out to the homes that they need to go to, you know, whatever you could do in, in to help people, I think is the best thing that you can do. And if even if there's just a little bit of time, it means something to somebody, mm -hmm. you know, helping, helping, you know, take the time out to love someone, you know, Stevie Wonder right there. Uh, but, uh, but that's, uh, that, that's, that's, I think, what everyone can at least take the time to do. And I mean, you know, you know a perfect example, um, my father is part of a group called Mad Dads. And Mad Dads is a men against drugs, violence, and social disorder. Um, and they're a, they're a group that's across the country. There's Mad Dads in many major cities, but there's a Pittsburgh chapter. Um, and, you know, whenever there's violence in the streets, whether it's a shooting in the community, uh, whether it's, you know, they need, they want to pick up litter in the community, they go and do it. They have a they have neighborhood patrols where they'll just, they'll talk to kids they see on the street corners. And, you know, you got an idea that they might not be doing something that would be legal, but you're still going to say, hey, and you're not being a vigilante. You're just saying, hey, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm a janitor. I'm the pastor at your church, or I'm just the guy down the street that you've seen your whole life. You know, I want to ask you how you're doing and develop a relationship to understand where you are in your life and why you feel you need to do the things you're, you're doing. Um, there are efforts like that. It doesn't have to just be against police brutality. There's many forms of racism and how that impacts us through many institutions, whether it's housing discrimination, whether it's medical discrimination, whether it's you know, employment discrimination. There's so many things that, you, that, people, that people can do to help. And, and you know, and sometimes it doesn't take a, a, it doesn't take you know you know 20 hours in a week to do. Sometimes it can just take three to four. You know, just commit. You know, part you know, part of your afternoon and just one one day, one day, you know, in a while, and say, like, you know, I'm going to help these people out. That's the kind of stuff it does resonate, and um, and 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 staying engaged and understanding that in your life, again, when you have the chance to impact something like that, you know, how can you lend it, lend it, and also standing up for people that can't stand up for themselves. You know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, and, and I mentioned Mad Dads. Uh, one of the main retorts that I always hear, and that we all always hear. Whenever we talk about police brutality, there's people that say, well, what about black on black crime? You know, what, a, you know, black people kill themselves. Why are they complaining about this and not complaining about that? And it's like, well, hold up a second. As black people, we complain about it all the time. We just held a vigil at, uh, at home, at Homewood and uh, in Frankstown to, you know, against, against community violence. Mad Dads marches down the streets. And, you know, there was a shooting in Wilkinsburg. They were right in that community trying to comfort people, talk to people, get, make sure that everyone's okay. Um, and, to, and, and say, we will not stand for this. And this happens all across the country. There's stop the violence movements everywhere. Um, and those movements have always been ongoing. They just don't attract the attention of those who don't care about it because they're like, it doesn't impact me. But it does impact you when we're asking for something from outside the community, like, hey, the police are doing this. Can you please stop? And the police, they're they're not the hardened criminals. You know, they're, they're not, you know, the people that, 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 we're, that we deal with about when you talk about black and black crime when you're talking about shootings that has to do with poverty uh, for one you know one thing black and black crime itself is a myth because no one talks about white on white crime and white on white crime it happens at, at, at a high rate just like black on black crime does as well but when you look at that and you say okay 
if you actually believe that black on black crime is a problem, go out in the community and help those that are, that are combating it. Organize with those who are saying, hey, we're gonna help make this community better so that there's less poverty, there's less crime, there's less stress on people so that these things don't have to happen. Um, and if you wanna become part of that, that's great. But if but there's a lot of people out there that simply use the, the, those deaths of black people in those situations as political punchlines. And to me, that's unacceptable. Uh, and so something that you could do is when you hear someone do that, challenging them. And because when I challenge them, they say, oh, that's just Chris, he's the angry black guy. But when a white person challenges them, they, it, you know, they're like, well, wait a second. And they may, they may call you a, a libtard or snowflake or you know, all, all the other names that they give people these days. But the point is, is that if you, if, you know, the more people that stand up for us, the louder our voice gets together, the harder it is to deny something like this country right now. We're seeing people, we, we've seen people stand up together and say, this has to end. And now you're seeing more and more people start to be like, okay, we, we do need to listen to them because this isn't just a couple guys. Right. I understood. Christopher, I, I'd like to personally thank you and God yeah. bless you for everything you're doing in the community uh, with your activism. And I mean that sincerely. One thing that upsets me is how the press does not talk about organizations like that. I turn on the nightly news and all I see is fires and murders and there's so much going on going on in the community and can't they take some time to really focus on more positive news and get that word out. It just bothers me to no end that we don't see enough of that. And I also appreciate you have an open dialogue because one of my fears is if we can't have open dialogue and people are afraid of crossing a narrative, we'll never make any progress. People want to do what's right. I truly believe it, but they have to be able to feel free to express their opinion and learn from things that they don't understand. So I, I appreciate your open dialogue and everything you're doing. I mean that sincerely. So thank you. Thank you, Wayne. And, uh, and, and about about the media about the media part. Sorry. No, no. Go uh, ahead. Go ahead, Christopher. To cut, to go, ahead. You off. go ahead. Go ahead about the media part that's another institution that, that we're talking about where you see that persist we see that right now with the pittsburgh post gazette and how they removed alexis johnson and michael santiago from covering the the, 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 the protests in pittsburgh um and we saw how the, the 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 union of writers responded by supporting both of them but um you know there's a lot of newsrooms that they're not diverse enough or experienced enough to say like, you know what, we're not going, let's think about how we're, we're addressing this situation or let's think about how we're covering the stories, what stories we're covering. You know, back when, a perfect example was back when Katrina happened and New Orleans was just in shambles and people were just trying to survive. When white people were caught taking stuff from stores, they were called, uh, find, they found those things. They were called survivors. When black people took stuff from stores, they were called thieves. They were called looters. They were called, they were, they were, they were saying they stole these things. But really these were all just people going into uninhabited stores in an area that was decimated by floods and horrible and horrible damage, just trying to survive because they had no connections to the outside world and living in chaos. Um, and it's things like that that happen every day in the newsroom that people don't get to hear about because they're in these back rooms. And again, like how you were talking about Wayne, you know, when you're in that work area, even if you're on the side of the people that, that are being oppressed, it's tough to speak up in those moments because you're yeah. under so much pressure and you're afraid that your boss might be like, you know what, you don't need to work here anymore because you disagree with us. And that's not easy for, uh, and that's not an easy step for a lot of people to take. So um, absolutely, 
um, the media is a part of it. And again, it's institutional. It's the thing. It's the people at the top that make these decisions, and and how those decisions reverberate around around newsrooms across the country. And uh, it it does need to happen. And I I can say that you know with the with the news experience that I've had, I've been blessed to. Uh, to meet people that have been willing to help push that, you know, the the people at WPXI, they've been willing to give me a platform to talk about these things. And I've, I've thanked them for that. I continue to thank them for that because um, there's a lot of places that I know that wouldn't give me the opportunity. The same for DKPittsburghSports.com. Dan Kovacevic called me uh, the night of the protests in Pittsburgh where people were talking about the Lemieux statue being damaged and weren't talking about the actual protest. And he said, hey, man, you want to write about this? And I never thought Dion would give me the opportunity. And he did. Um, and uh, so I spent the next five hours. And mind you, he called me at midnight. So I was up till five. But uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, thanks, Dion. But, uh, but, but in all seriousness, that was a great moment. And yeah. in the article, there were a lot of people that, that emailed me, that texted me, that, that messaged me, said, man, I never thought of it that way. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we really, you know, you, you helped change my mind on this or you helped me understand where you're coming from because I never, you know, thought of it that way. Um, that's where you can step up where you, where, you know, if you're in a situation where you can help get, you know, help someone's voice, you know, be a little bit louder or just simply stand behind them. You don't need to speak for them because a lot of times we can explain to ourselves. We just need to let people, we just need people to let us do that. Hmm. Um, and, and you guys doing that right now is a perfect example of that. Well, Thanks, Christopher. I, and, and I have to, you know, I reiterate what Wayne said. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight uh, because we, we wanted to be able to have an opportunity to have a conversation and 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 uh, and, and allow you to to speak about what your experiences have been, and what your thoughts are. And unfortunately, in this world that we live in right now of 160 or 320 characters and social media, and yeah. we can be anonymous and we can call each other names and we can, mm -hmm. you know, shut yeah. off conversation. It's like, oh, you say one thing, you have an opinion. Well, you're out. You're not allowed to talk about those things. You're, you know, you're you're this, you're that, you're the other. Uh, we can actually have a conversation, you know, and even if you go out there and you talk to somebody one on one and you may disagree on something, that doesn't yeah. mean you can't keep talking. That doesn't mean that you can't agree on 400 other things, but agree to disagree on the one. That's okay. I've, I've, I've got friends that I disagree with a lot of crap with, with them, but you know what? You know, we, we, can, we yeah, well, start, start there. Uh, but you know, th this is what, um, you know, and a lot of podcasters and there's some really, really great podcasters out there that talk about these, these open conversations, being able to sit down and talk and have these platforms of being able to have very, very important discussions. And I hope and I pray that we get the most people download this podcast that we've ever had. And this continues the conversation. We can continue to talk about this. And, you know, I've always believed that it starts with us. It starts with us as an individual and that we sit down and we'll sit on the edge of our bed before we go to bed at night. And we just think like, what did I do today that made a difference? And what can I do tomorrow to do that 1% better? Okay. To do just a little bit better and to improve the, it's like, you know what, if you've been a jerk in the past, that doesn't mean you have to be a jerk tomorrow. Okay. Right. That means that, you know, everybody can change. So before we wrap it up, uh, Christopher, I want to give you an opportunity. Where can everybody find you? Please. Where can they find you? 
you guys know you can find me on Twitter at Carter Critiques. If you follow me, I will follow you back. Um, always down to chat with people there. Don't be afraid to DM me at me. I'm always down to chat with people, even if you disagree with me. Uh, people disagree with me all the time. Um, you can follow the uh, Locked On Steelers podcast. We're on all we're on all spot, podcasting platforms. It's a Monday through Friday Steelers show that I do. Bring on several guests. We talk a lot about the Steelers, get in depth about the team. Uh, if you just want your Steelers fixed, it's the best place to go. Um, you can also go to DKPittsburghSports.com, where I'm an NFL analyst, along with a great team of writers. We've got Dan Kovacevic, Dale Lally on, on, on football. We've got Dave Molinari and Taylor Haas on hockey. We've got Alex Stump on baseball. We also now have Ramon Foster, who recently retired. Oh, yes. Uh, part of the team. <laughs> nice. He does a great job every Tuesday with his uh, on-the-line column. That, 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 that he writes about his experiences and and how he sees things that are going in the sports world. So we have a great team. If you love Pittsburgh sports, I suggest you check out DKPittsburghSports.com. Um, also join the Facebook group for the Locked On Steelers group where you can uh, experience you know, a, a tighter knit community of Steelers fans. So again, follow me at Carter Critiques. Thanks to those who are our supporters of the show. And thanks to you guys for listening to this great show because um, it's a great program and, and these guys definitely deserve the love. Well, thanks, Christopher. Really appreciate it. Wayne, any uh, any last few words before we sign off? I uh, just appreciate the time with you, Christopher. Um, I've been feeling enlightened from a lot of things you've said. And just want to thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thank yeah, you guys. thanks again, Chris. I'm going to ask you guys just to stay on the Zoom here for a minute after we log off. But uh, hey, everybody, uh, thanks for listening. Remember, you can check us out. Uh, find Basement Sports Podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You can check us out on Twitter and you can check us out on Facebook. Send us an email, agree or please disagree at basement sports podcast at gmail.com. That's basement sports podcast at gmail.com. Thanks everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.